your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills spins away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope to the sidelines, steps out of bounds inside the 30-yard line. Jadrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And we have a full Husker football schedule to talk about. Now as the league, 11 hours ago, came out with the 2020 football schedule, which is completely different than what Nebraska had been staring at for a couple of years. Josh mentioned in the ticker, it opened September the 5th at Rutgers. The next two at home, Illinois, Wisconsin, then to Iowa, home to Minnesota, to the horseshoe to take on the Buckeyes, get a bye week, go to Northwestern, come home, play Penn State. Get a second bye week. Go to Purdue and Michigan State at home to round out the schedule. Obviously, there could be interruptions, changes, deletions, additions to the schedule as we move along. But that's what it is set right now. So the original nine games are there that Nebraska played different order and in some cases different sites. Wisconsin and Purdue flip sites. Huskers were supposed to go to Camp Randall, get Purdue at home. They're not going to flip that. They're going to get the Badgers at home, go to Purdue, and then that will change future schedules as well for Nebraska, which will mean in in future years Nebraska won't have to make trips to both Wisconsin and Iowa in the same year, which is the way it has been set up. That will now alternate because of this schedule change here. And Michigan State is the addition to Nebraska's schedule at the end of the year. We uh, The Big Ten didn't give people, Ben, a lot of time. They kind of were hinting last night that they might come out today, but then Bang, right out of the gate, 7.30 Central Time. There it was, uh, the schedule popping out. What were your thoughts when you saw it pop up on the screen? Yeah, first of all, just glad to see it. And I think the the thing that uh, you know I was most looking forward to, besides just the schedule being released, was hearing from the commissioner today. Uh, you know, hearing him speak, it was something that I've, I've been waiting for. We don't know a lot about him just yet and what his leadership style is going to be. Uh, we haven't really got a great sense of his approach with COVID and, and how he was going to handle the coronavirus. And, um, you know, it was a lot of reading between the lines and guesswork on our part on on what the commissioner was feeling about this. But to, to actually have the schedule released, as you said, um, it's not often that I uh, I jump on Twitter at you know five minutes after seven, and and there's a whole lot on there, but that wasn't the case today. So you know waiting uh, waiting for that schedule today, and then of course seeing um, what changes, if any, were were made to Nebraska's original schedule. Of course, as you laid out, there are a couple, and and uh, you know dissecting it, looking at it, made me just feel better in general because for once the talk wasn't about the virus destroying football. It was about, okay, well, who's got who? Who added uh, Nebraska, added Michigan State? Who did the other teams add? It was nice to be able to just uh, to look at that for a minute. And then, um, of course, that's pretty short-lived knowing what's to follow because there's a lot of coronavirus-related material and conversations and questions to be had 
um, now that this has been done and now these now you know moving forward as such with the season um, you know you can start figuring out some of those logistics and other questions and obviously uh, a lot of the conversation uh, geared quickly to uh, the Big Ten player union that, that we heard uh, put out a statement uh, with over a thousand Big Ten student athletes uh, regarding the the health and safety, not entirely dissimilar to what the Pac-12 did uh, the other day. I would say the the Big Tens was structured in a lot better way than the Pac-12s were, and, and I would say almost all of it was related to the health and safety of the players regarding the coronavirus and COVID-19 and how they would be protected by not just the Big Ten but the league or the the entire NCAA. And I thought that was. That was well highlighted. There were just a couple of things that I didn't necessarily agree with or see eye to eye with, but I think for the most part, uh, it was very well thought out and 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 you know taking this this avenue of of safety for the players. And then of course, um, you know you had a lot of Husker players sound off today too, which which I thought was great because you know you read that statement and it sounds like they're speaking for the entirety of the league in all 14 schools. Well, I think by hearing from Nebraska student athletes today, they separated themselves from some of those others that, that felt they weren't being treated fairly or their best interests were being looked, looked out for. That was quickly put to bed by the amount of Huskers that tweeted, um, you know, great things about the staff, the, the administration, all the higher ups at the university. So there was a lot that happened today, but I think that was the thing that made me feel the best was, uh, um, you know, the, the way that the, the players feel they're being treated so far at the university with their health in mind. Yeah, the unity demand thing came out late morning, and it seemed like it was maybe being spurred by a lot of Northwestern students. At least that's kind of the feeling that I got, that they were really kind of taking the lead on this whole thing. But then it was, as you mentioned, it was an avalanche of Husker players quickly posting Nebraska's been great, doing everything by the book. We're very comfortable with what's happening here. Let's play ball. Let's go. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much every prominent Husker football player had that tweet come out in some semblance or form this afternoon. You're right. It was really good to see uh, that come out. You mentioned the commissioner. He did an extensive interview with BTN after the schedule dropped, and he was pretty open and adamant about, hey, we can't guarantee this is going to happen. We, you know, and we are prepared to walk away if we don't think this is safe for our student athletes. So he was quick to point that out. So, you know, if you're sitting there and you're kind of in a euphoric state because you finally see a football schedule grid that comes out, he was quick to point that out. Ward Manuel, the athletic director at Michigan, kind of the same way with a statement that he put out this afternoon. We're going to talk to Bill Moose here in just a couple of minutes and get his take on this whole thing. Uh, but, yeah, those guys were quick to do that. Nebraska did put out a joint statement earlier today from Chancellor Ronnie Green and Athletic Director Bill Moose, and I'll read part of it to you here. We welcome these important steps forward for fall football from the Big Ten. There has been a tremendous amount of consultation and hard work to get to this point. It was a team effort with valuable input from the Big Ten Conference staff, university chancellors and presidents, head coaches and athletic directors to develop a football schedule that prioritizes divisional games and provides some needed flexibility. The top priority remains to conduct a football season in the safest and healthiest manner possible for everyone involved. There are still many steps ahead before we can take the field in September, beginning with the opening of preseason camp later this week, but there is no question this is an exciting day at Nebraska. Our players and coaching staff now have a schedule in front of them 
And Husker fans can now see how the 2020 season will unfold. Our next task is finalizing many of the details and protocols for football game days at Memorial Stadium. We will be announcing those details very soon after consultation with state and local officials. Nebraska is getting closer to seeing their beloved Huskers take the field. We and all of Husker Nation very much look forward to our first away game on September the 5th at Rutgers and our first home game the following week against Illinois. And I'll, we'll get to that with Bill Moose as well about what what does that mean for home games? What does that mean for season ticket holders? Because that's the question on everybody's mind right now is what does that mean? Can I get in and watch this team play if they have home games coming up this season? So Nebraska quickly jumped on that. We mentioned it last night, Ben. Nebraska really feels like they've got a handle on this thing, and they can compete this fall. And I still think that there's a feeling around the league that that's not the case. But we'll see as this thing unfolds. But at least for today, the coaches, the players know they can start practice on Friday. And they, at least as of right now, it's Rutgers, the opening opponent for the Big Red. Yeah, I think that's so great uh, for Nebraska, at least – you know, it's something to hang their hat on, not only to have the players back up, you know, what they've been preaching, but, um, you know, to have an administration that's willing to, you know, kind of put it on the line with while sticking up for their players. It's it's great. It's great to have that. And you're right that the, the Huskers really want to get this done. I mean, Nebraska wants to play this season uh, as bad as anybody. And I, I think that, um, you know, having the administration that's willing to, to, to go out on the limb and and speak their minds, speak candidly about their team's thoughts, their university's thoughts, while still being able to execute um, the type of behavior and protocols that need to be in place to make this happen. It says a lot about uh, the ingenuity and just the brain power that, that's going on at the leadership position at Nebraska. So I, I'm sure Bill Moose and, and everybody else over there, Ronnie Green and even the head football coach, probably felt great to see those players come out today and um you know drive home the point made them feel like their job and their efforts were um were being uh, recognized by by the players so it'll be interesting to see how this pans out because based on you know that 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 statement by the the big 10 union today it, that indicates that teams in this conference and we kind of said this yesterday greg are all over the map on on where they're at with this with this pandemic and where they're at with uh, how they want to approach this season. Um, and I think Nebraska is one that are kind of carrying the flag and kind of lead, leading the, the charge on the teams that want to get this done. And that was evident today by the hashtag that a lot of those players use is we want to play football. And, you know, now at least there's a schedule in front of them and camp opens on Friday officially. So let's hope things can continue to move in that direction. Delighted to be joined now by the athletic director for the University of Nebraska, Bill Moose. Bill, great to have you with us. This has been a big day, a day we've anticipated for a while. I don't know, it took a while to get here. I think I heard us, the BTN guys say over 100 conversations, Zoom calls between you and your cohorts at the Big Ten. How did we get to what came out earlier today? Well, it, it didn't happen overnight, and um, I, I got to say, I, I was uh, at first surprised, but then actually realized that we have met as many times as we have as Big Ten athletic directors and with the Big Ten staff, uh, over 100 meetings uh, going all the way back to mid-March, and uh, the schedule and uh, the return to play 
testing protocol and and all these topics uh, have been at the top of the list uh, in every one of those meetings and uh, finally came to fruition and uh, I think we got a real good schedule for the entire conference and some real good guidelines so I'm very excited about it. Bill, the Big Ten's the last of the Big Five to come out with their schedule, and you're also going to start early, the earliest of anybody on that weekend of September the 5th. How did, how did the conference arrive at starting on that date? Well, that was the original date, uh, Greg, as you know, uh, where we were going to open at home with Purdue. Um, and we really felt that... Uh, uh, if we could target that as our start date, we could have enough flexibility uh, with buys during the season and uh, potentially at the end of the season uh, to address canceled games or postponed games and such. So uh, we very well may not start on uh, September 5th, but that's the plan. And I honestly think that... Uh, uh, most, if not all, of the schools will begin uh, competition on that day. But we do have uh, some, some leeway to call an audible when we need to. Okay, you mentioned the testing. The, the new protocols that were put out today are going to have a third-party tester to come in. I hadn't thought about that. It makes sense. How did, how did the conference arrive at that? Your thoughts about a third-party group coming in to handle the testing? I, I can honestly say of all the things that we've talked about in detail, the testing piece uh, was, was by far the most. Uh, the safety and well-being of our student-athletes being our top priority. And that's why in the very beginning, we uh, made the decision and announced early that we were going to uh, compete with a conference-only schedule so that we could control our footprint with consistent testing uh, and then that evolved into how the tests are actually going to be conducted, how they're going to be performed and to be consistent it was felt that a third party was necessary to conduct the testing. Bill, earlier today that, that there was a movement called uh, Unity coming out. A lot of players apparently around the, the conference are, are wanting to make sure that the, the medical protocols are in place. How many conversations have, have you and the staff and the coaching staff had with your players about this and, and to kind of ease their fears as they set to embark on this thing? Well, I've communicated with all of our student-athletes on a couple of occasions, and uh, their individual coaches have in, in uh, far more times than that. Um, in, in my opinion, our student athletes feel comfortable. Uh, they understand that we are doing everything we can and really way out in front, in my opinion, uh, in putting our protocols together for their safety. Uh, we've been in our facilities uh, with our uh, select group that are going to be competing this fall and the two basketball programs basically since the beginning of June. So uh, I, I tip my hat to our coaches and my wonderful staff for being uh, very strict and following our protocol, which really puts us in a real good position uh, to m make this next move. On top of that, 
uh, each institution had two student athletes, one football and one uh, of the other fall sports. And you, that was primarily volleyball and women's soccer uh, on Zoom calls with uh, our commissioner uh, and the staff and our athletic directors were uh, listening in to get their concerns. It was very helpful, uh, very insightful, and really, I think, a real good and valuable piece to the decisions that have just been made. Bill, the, the unity demands that came out from a group of Big Ten athletes much, much different than what came out of the Pac-12-year-old conference last week. How much are you monitoring that, and do you are you concerned or worried that that may spread across the country? Well, I got, I've got two reasons to follow that. One is uh, professionally and, and to really uh, dissect what these uh, student-athletes are uh, asking for and, and what is realistic, what we can work on and such. The other is a more personal one because I have a son that's a Pac-12 football player and uh, I really, through conversations with him, had a pretty good idea of what that uh, movement was going to be all about before it, before it came uh, public. So, uh, hey, these are these are things that need to be talked about. Uh, this is a, a critical time right now with uh, a pandemic and uh, racial uh, events that uh, unfortunate but need to be addressed and how we can become better, um, not just. Uh, as a nation, but athletic departments and and uh, families, et cetera. So uh, it's good to discuss these things. Hard to believe that all of these um, ideas and suggestions are going to be answered in any time soon, but at least we've got a real good feel of what the pulse is out there uh, in college athletics today. No doubt. Bill Moose, Husker Athletic Director, with us here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Okay, the fans are the fans are anxious, and they wanted the schedule, and now they want to know, can they come see their Huskers play? Where are you at with that? Do you have a drop-dead date, what, what, or could it change as the fall moves along? Just kind of give us an update on, on what you think crowds may look like at Memorial Stadium this fall. Well, that will be decided uh, by local authorities. Uh, each campus and each community, again, in the Big Ten footprint, is a little bit different. And uh, I think we're very fortunate in this, in this regard that we uh, are a low-populated state, uh, that we have a really clean community, uh, the number of positive uh, results from testing is not astronomical. Uh, and uh, for those reasons and, and others, I'm confident that we're going to be able to have uh, nice crowds in Memorial Stadium. How big, we don't know yet. Uh, right now, it would be limited uh, uh, to, to 10,000 if, if we followed the, and which we will follow the uh, directions of, of the local authorities. But I see that uh, there's good hope that we could have considerably more Husker fans uh, attend uh, Husker football. It's important for Nebraska. Uh, it's important for our morale, and and uh, and it's important for the city of Lincoln. 
Uh, you know, Greg, we uh, on average bring in about $245 million a year into Lincoln, primarily centered around seven home football games. So um, these are these are our our people, the businesses of Lincoln. Uh, we embrace. We are wonderful partners, and we want to see that that they are taken care of as well, and and that they can thrive as best possible. And then, of course, our wonderful fans from all over um, are hungry for Husker football. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if if we could, and hopefully there's a chance we can uh, continue our sellout streak uh, with a packed stadium however it turns out i know we want to make sure that if, if at all possible we can get as many of these wonderful passionate fans that we are so known for uh have an opportunity to get into memorial stadium and watch their beloved huskers this fall bill i i know there, there was a brief a little announcement about the rest of your fall sports and you mentioned volleyball and, and women's soccer any update on that is it looking like early september conference only maybe for those two what what is the latest on that and same i guess same thing for the volleyball fans what kind of access could they maybe have to see that team play this fall well those two programs student athletes have uh, been in the volunteer voluntary workouts, um, just like football, uh, just like men's and women's basketball. Uh, they're eager to get ready and prepare for competition. Uh, we, uh, now that we have the football uh, piece of it, we can really go to work on uh, soccer and volleyball. Uh, we, we, we do know that they will not start before September 5th. Um, that was kind of the direction that we wanted to go uh, as a conference and uh, uh, conference only schedules. I think you may see that uh, throughout the, the entire year. I, I, I'm not saying that's for sure, but I think that's the direction we're going to go again so that we can control uh, our, our uh, membership in regards to testing and that it can be consistent and uh, uh, all of our student athletes can be as comfortable as possible that whatever environment they step into, uh, it's going to be exactly what they left when they, when they left home to come to compete on our campus. Very good. Well, Bill, I know this is a big day. I know your football staff and your football players were anxious to see this, to know if they were going to actually start their fall camp on Friday. They have There has to be a kind of a, a sense of at least we know now what we kind of have in front of us. That group, I'm sure, is anxious to get out and get their practices underway. Well, they are, and, and uh, uh, wonderful young people that we have in this program. But they they came here to play. They came here to compete. They came here to enjoy the experience of being a University of Nebraska Husker athlete. And uh, we want to provide that for them and at the same time make sure that they are safe, uh, that their health concerns are uh, number one priority for us. And now we can get going. They know who to prepare for. Uh, and we can start making plans for airline charters and hotel rooms and bus contracts. Everybody's busy and uh, it's an exciting time once again. Very good. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know the last several months have been incredibly hectic. Let's hope we get some smooth sailing moving forward. Thank you, Greg, and go Big Red.
It's the Sports Nightly Preseason Top 25 tonight. The snap, play action pass on the slant. Altman Bell on the run, 45 to midfield, off to the races, to the 30, crossing to the 20, to the 10, touchdown, Chris Altman Bell, 70 yards, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Number 13, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Team number 13 on our preseason top 25 countdown, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press helping break it down. The Gophers with us here tonight. Andy, 13, let's just start first with the offseason pre-COVID and kind of the uh, the Minneapolis town flavor feel of the season that, that P.J. Fleck and the Gophers put together last year. Nine and three, big uh, bull effort against Auburn. And, of course, uh, some, some postseason honors for P.J. Fleck. Coaches named him the Big Ten Coach of the Year. What's kind of the, the feeling and the mojo around the program with this team pre-COVID? Yeah, it's certainly high. I mean, they were 11 and two last year. Uh, had you know monumental wins against Auburn uh, in the Outback Bowl and over then ranked uh, number four Penn State here, uh, which a lot of people look at as the best win on campus in 50, 60 years. So it's certainly high uh, going into this next year, even though they do have some questions, and those questions grew with Rashad Bateman, the Big Ten receiver of the year, uh, deciding to opt out on Tuesday. 11 wins for the program last year. Let's let's start maybe last year before we kind of jump into this year. When did you get the sure. sense uh, that they struggled a little early, had a, had a little trouble getting by the non-com, but they won those games. They, uh, as you mentioned, the big win against Penn State, of course, finished with Auburn. But following the team a year ago, when was it, Andy, that you got the sense that this team maybe looked a little different than some of the Minnesota teams that you covered and they had, they had a real chance? Yeah, you know, 2018, uh, there were a few games where they just kind of let slip away or never really narrowed the margin, and you could just kind of see that they didn't quite have the the will to win and uh, the refuse-to-lose mentality, and that's what P.J. Fleck made the goal uh, in 2019. So, you know, while they struggled with South Dakota State and struggled with Fresno State and struggled with Georgia Southern, it never really felt like they were panicking. It never really felt like they were out of it. Um, and they had some dramatic comebacks in those games. So you weren't quite sure exactly what they were. Uh, but they found where to win, and they refused to lose. And that's what P.J. Uh, wanted to see. I think things really kind of opened up when they started Big Ten play and, and really took it to, to Purdue. And, and Tanner Morgan, I think, had one completion and like 22 throws. And was absolutely dominant, and I think that's when things kind of really turned and they were able to put together more complete games, and that's when they really started to separate themselves. You mentioned the 2018 season, and I'm remembering the game that, that Minnesota came to Nebraska. It was probably one of those games that you were talking about with Anikstead and, and, and Morgan. They, they were trying to find their way with the quarterback position, but obviously Tanner Morgan settled into his own a year ago. You talked about the game where just one incompletion. Uh, I think that was the game before Nebraska, if I remember correctly. When you, when you look at, at, at Tanner Morgan, before we start – analyzing the rest of the offense. What does he do so well in this offense that maybe could offset some of those other areas that we'll talk about here in a minute? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that game in Lincoln, uh, when he came in at halftime, was, was really his first opportunity he took and, and ran with it after that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's got an incredible win-loss record, you know, not, ex not including that game since he didn't start it. But, uh, you know, he on a run after that um you know he's very accurate he's very smart 
Uh, he gets rid of the ball and puts it in the right places. Uh, he might knock for maybe not having the strongest arm, uh, but he gets it to where it needs to go, and he can throw the deep ball. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, the Gophers are always going to be a balanced team. They're going to want to establish the run and, and do it, uh, you know, on the ground as well. And uh, they've got, you know, the read option game uh, and the RPOs that uh, kind of keep the defenses honest a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you have two uh, first-team All-Big Ten wide receivers, uh, that helps Tanner Morgan look pretty good as well. You mentioned the ground game. It was it was interesting watching that dynamic a year ago with kind of the three-headed monster with Smith, Brooks, mm-hmm. and Ibrahim. This year is going to look a little different. I think with the injury situation, all three of those guys kind of took their turns from from being injured. This it's it, on paper it would appear it's Ibrahim's show now. This is this is going to be kind of his, his season. What what can he bring to this offense, and what will change with the Minnesota ground attack? Maybe not having to, to split the carries three different ways. Yeah, um, Rodney Smith was there for for six years. Um, he was there the entire time that I've covered this team. Uh, you know, he called himself you know great grandpa by the end of his sixth year. But you know, a very good player who got a free agent deal with the, the Panthers. Uh, they're going to miss him. He was a dynamic running back. He was probably their clear number one. Uh, but just the way that PJ Fleck likes to have his team, it's a lot of trussle ball being a graduate assistant under Jim Trussell in, I think, 2006 at Ohio State uh, when they had a great team there. Uh, You know, he always wants to have multiple running backs. So while Mo Ibrahim is going to be the number one, uh, I'd imagine that there's going to be a, a, you know, kind of a a sharing of the the football uh, with some other guys that still need to kind of step up and become established with this team. But Mo Ibrahim, you know, he was he was a thousand yard running back in 2018 uh, when Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks had ACL injuries. So he's shouldered the before uh, with those guys dinged up in the Outback Bowl. Uh, Ibrahim had a great uh, performance there for a second consecutive bowl game. You know, he's a tough runner, not gonna you know wow you with his speed, but he's going to be difficult to bring down. The wide receiver position is we probably should have started there. I think you know you you look at what sure. those what that unit should, did, did put together last year with Tyler Johnson who set school records mm-hmm. and obviously Rashad Bateman who uh, jumped off the page with everybody around the league when Mel right. Kiper uh, a day after the NFL draft had him in his preseason for next year top ten overall selection for a year ago two very dynamic players and this offense would have looked a lot different had Rashad come back but for obvious reasons reasons mm-hmm. uh, stepping aside and going to the NFL a lot of attention going to be turned to Chris Ottman Bell and Demetrius Douglas what can you tell about these guys uh, Andy that that we maybe didn't get to see last year because of who's in front of them but what their potential could be in the offense this year yeah for sure um, yeah those guys were the third and fourth option last year uh, almost all the time they had a few times where they really kind of showed out and made big plays we talked about the non-conference schedule Chris Ottman Bell had the had the saving touchdown uh, in overtime uh, against Fresno State, and Demetrius Douglas had two catches uh, to convert a third and 30 and uh, a fourth and nine or something against Georgia Southern. So those guys have stepped up at big moments, but you know, combined I think they have 35 receptions last year. So they're going to really need to step up. And one thing that has been interesting with the Gophers is they almost never have thrown to their tight ends. It's never really been a facet of their passing game with Kirk Sharaka. But now with him gone to 
to Penn State and, and Mike Sanford Jr. coming over, um, you know, from you know Notre Dame and some other places that he's been, Western Kentucky and Stanford, uh, you know, and Southern Utah where he was with Jordan Love, uh, Utah State, excuse me, uh, where he was with Jordan Love last year, uh, the new Packers quarterback. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to incorporate the tight end more and just do it by committee. They've got a, a huge target, a guy that has been talked about for a while in Brevin Span Ford, but he didn't catch very many passes last year. I think his continual progression is going to be important. And P.J. Fleck was on BTN this morning raving about uh, two uh, receivers, two true freshman receivers that are coming in that could jump up at the depth chart here. Um, this this fall, this camp that might open here on, on Friday. So it's probably going to be by committee, uh, but some of those guys that have done it have done it on a big-time level, just not consistently. Now they're going to be asked to do so. Andy Reeder from the St. Paul Pioneer Press here to help us break down team number 13 in our preseason top 25 countdown, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Let's flip sides of the football. Obviously, when it, when you talk about Minnesota's defense, you're probably going to first start talking about the departures with Antoine Winfield and Thomas Barber, two very key cogs of this defense. Uh, we mentioned uh-huh. some guys that are going to have to step up on the offensive side. Uh, Sorry, Martin might have to be that guy on the defensive side and the linebacker. When you look at Minnesota's defense, where does it start this year without those guys with uh, with Coughlin, with Barber, and with uh, Winfield. Yeah, they had four guys uh, drafted last year. Um, you know, Kamal Martin and, and Chris uh, Williamson, their nickelback. Kamal Martin, another linebacker. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to need to be uh, better, and they're going to need to find replacements um, in the middle of that defense. You know, from the nickel to the will to the Mike linebackers, those are going to be important positions that they're going to need to fill. Um, so we'll see if they're able uh, to do so. Yeah, I mean, obviously Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, you know, that name for anybody that follows football, uh, what his dad did at a Pro Bowl level for the Vikings and the Bills and a little bit for the Seahawks. Um, you know, he was a consensus, excuse me, a unanimous All-American. Um, so that's going to be a difficult place for them to fill uh, at the end, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of in the box safety. Tyler Newbin uh, is a four-star guy, maybe the highest rated guy in their class in 2019. He played uh, like 12 games last year on special teams and got a taste. He looks the part as a safety, uh, but he's going to be thrown in um, after Winfield, you know, kind of ran the table last year and not coming off the field very much defensively after having a few years. Uh, where he couldn't stay on the field. Uh, so, yeah, there's question marks all over that defense um, as they try to replace four NFL draft picks. And I think they do have some things that they like on the defensive line. Both of their interior guys are back. Boye Mafe, um, uh, Rush End, who uh, played behind Carter Coughlin, who's now a New York Giant. Uh, he was on you know the athletics uh, freak list. He's got a 40-inch vertical. Uh, he certainly uh, looks the part as, a, as an imposing rush defensive end. Uh, but was mostly playing behind uh, another Minnesota guy in Carter Coughlin. So it, it's about seeing these young guys who have gotten a taste, seeing if they're able to emerge. It's it's very much like the wide receiver position where they, they feel like they have the depth, but we won't be able to see that until the first games. Andy, you mentioned uh, P.J. Fleck's appearance on, on BTN earlier today. I caught that as well, and one of the things that stuck mm-hmm. out about his comments was the September that Minnesota has, starting right out of the shoe with Michigan State on the road. Then you get Michigan and Iowa at home, then on the road at Camp Randall against the Badgers in Wisconsin. Pretty pretty grueling four-game stretch there. When you look at the new schedule put in front in Minnesota, hard to throw around that word expectation with just the, the bizarre, the 
the ambiguous situation that we're given right now uh, mm-hmm. in our society. But when you look at the schedule in front of Minnesota, what do you make of it? And, and, and what should Minnesota fans expect, especially considering their first four, potentially five games with Nebraska on the road following Wisconsin early October? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a challenge for sure. I mean, Michigan State is, is a little bit in a rebuilding mode, but, you know, they have a new coach in Mel Tucker that is going to be bringing his, his style from Colorado, and it'll be interesting to see how they're able to play right away against a, a scheme that they haven't done. And they won't have any non-conference games to kind of get up to speed. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting. Michigan State had one of their uh, defensive ends decided to redshirt today, so – you know, Micah Parsons at Penn State and, and this D lineman at Michigan State, some of the defections are continuing to add up as, as COVID uh, takes players out. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to, you know, go 2-2 two and two or 3-1 and one in those four games. Uh, you know, it'd be amazing if they were able to go 4-0. and I, I don't really see that happening, just given how difficult it will be with all the new pieces that Minnesota has and playing those four teams to start the year. You know, you kind of wonder if those four games are going to play out like they are expected to or are scheduled to, just given where we are with coronavirus and if some of those games are eventually delayed and if that kind of benefits the Gophers if some of them are pushed back and it's a little bit maybe more of a balanced schedule, maybe not as front-loaded. But, you know, if the Gophers are able to come out of that at 3-1, at and one, I think that they'll be in the driver's seat. But, you know, I think maybe 2-2 two and two is maybe more likely uh, expectation. It should be interesting. Hopefully this, this plays out the way that we hope and we get to see the uh, the Gophers in action again following that 11-win season a year ago. And obviously Husker fans hoping the same and another chance to play Minnesota at home at Memorial Stadium in early October. Andy Greeter, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, team number 13, our preseason top 25 countdown is Minnesota. Andy, thanks so much for uh, breaking down the Gophers with us. Hopefully uh, this all has bears some weight and we can watch some football here in four short weeks and, and you're on the beat covering some football. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. It's time for Famous Dave's Face-Off. They score the face-off! Famous Dave's, America's favorite barbecue, offers award-winning, mouth-watering, house-smoked barbecue for pickup, curbside, or delivery. Order three ways, online at FamousDaves.com, through the Famous Dave's app, or call your nearest location in Lincoln, Omaha, or Bellevue. Famous Dave's, locally and veteran-owned. Let's go. Mano a mano. You, me, right here. Right now. Now, here are your hosts, Josh Hilkeman and Tim Curran. All right, here we go. A couple of weeks hiatus, like you said, Greg, um, and a longer hiatus for Tim. He's back in his rightful place as co-host of the Face-Off. A, you know, we've had some, some rotation through, Brett and Austin, and different luck with all those guys. But, Greg, I'm sure that you, most of all, are probably the most happy that Tim's back. You had great success early on with, with Tim as co-host. Yeah, Tim, Tim is solid in this role, just really rock solid. Yeah. In fact, this was my idea, the Famous Days face-off. Well, Josh actually came up with the game itself, but I am still taking all the credit. So you guys are most (laughs) welcome for that. Shocker. Well, (laughs) don't know how to follow that up. But uh, a... uh, Maybe a recap? I was going to say a recap. That is a great idea. So we have played 16 times, and right now we are tied 8-8 between Greg and Ben. Wow. Wow. 
I've never led, right? You did have yeah. a lead. You did, did have a lead uh, the second to last time we played, and then Greg won last week to tie it back up at eight. So you, most of the entire thing, and that's here's the another thing that we need to talk about quickly is what are we gonna when are we going to end this season of face off, or do we just let it go on forever? Because <laughs> I mean, I think we have to break it up like we did do with buy sell, but I don't know. It's I think you guys have to have some input on that. We probably need to bring bring buy sell back, don't we? True. I mean, I, we can bring it back. We can do both at the same time and and do something with that. I don't know. I think that we need to hear from the people too what they what yeah. they want. Do they want both? The council will convene and we'll hand out a decision. We could Twitter poll it some night. That's true. That is a great. That, you know what? Maybe we should do that tonight. Once the uh, segment ends, we can we can Twitter poll it and see what people want to do. But. Without any further ado, let's jump into the questions for this week. And we have some good ones. We've been coming up with them over the last couple weeks. And we start with a Husker football question, of course. Who are the first conference opponents for Husker football the last four seasons? Greg. Greg in first. Illinois. Show me Illinois. Correct. That was last year. You, you took the, the easy road there. Are you going to pass or play? I'll, I'll play. Okay. I think Rutgers was one of our opening games in the league. So give me Rutgers. Was Rutgers one of those games? They sure were in 2017. Okay. It gets a little bit more difficult yeah. from here on out. The I would. Yeah. I actually did remember Rutgers as well, but I did not remember the other two. You didn't remember Illinois? No, I did remember Illinois. There's, did. there's two other ones, okay. though, that you still have to get. I remember the ones okay. that you've gotten so far. Season yeah, was a those. blur, to be fair. Those two you got. Okay. Um, you're right. It gets a little harder from here. Uh, let's go Michigan. Show me Michigan. Steel trap. That memory. Nothing gets past it. So I've gotten the last three. Now I got to go four years right, back. Right, you got to go back to 2016 to get so the last. So I'm, I'm, I'm Mike Riley's last year. Here's the thing, though: is you you have no strikes against you, so you have several guesses to get this one right. Why do I feel like it was Illinois twice? Is that an option? Can I go Illinois twice? You can or not? say whatever you want. That, it, give me Illinois a second time. That is incorrect. That's so a, I thought that's that. A, I That's thought a that good Friday guess, night though. game, and it was in Champaign, that Friday night game with Tanner Lee, but I guess maybe that wasn't our first conference game that year. So, okay. Um, Northwestern. Show me Northwestern. That was the 2016 conference opener. Good work. Okay. So Greg up 1-0. Did you have those, Ben? I had three of them. I, I probably would have got to Northwestern eventually, but it would have taken me a guess or two. There's I knew only, it wasn't Illinois twice. There's only uh, so many teams in the Big Ten. Right, right. And you know you play Iowa late and you've played the yeah, other teams late. Right. Yeah. Our next question takes us to the world of ice hockey. Question numero dos. Name the five most recent NHL champions. Give you a hint. Four teams. Ben. Uh, one team has two titles in that span. Ben, you buzzed in. What do you got? Washington Capitals. Show me the Capitals. Yes, in 2018, they were named the champions. Pass or play, Benjamin? Uh, I'm playing. <laughs> All right. Get three other guesses. And one of them has won twice. 
The St. Louis Blues. Show me the Blues. Yes, the Blues, the greatest of all hockey franchises, won it last year. (laughs) I believe the one that won twice was the Pittsburgh Penguins. Was it the Penguins who won twice? It was indeed. 2016 and 2017. Tim, Tim, do we give uh, Ben uh, extra credit for naming them as the team that won twice? There's no uh, extra credit, well, so I don't. <laughs> I'll give him a gold star. Okay, oh, thanks. That's more than house. you no- normally give Eight. on uh, yeah. on extras like that. The, the council is stingy on these matters, but I'm be, I'm feeling generous. <laughs> the today, Tim so. Curran gold star is worth something. But well, but the real gold star comes if you can get the next winner in 2015. How many more do Just I have to back. get? Just one. One. Just one. All right. I, there's there's two teams that I think it could be because they're they were like alternating. Um, give me the Kings. Is it the Kings? It is not. It is not. That's, That's one a strike. Great guess, though, because they won it the year prior, 2014. Okay, and I so I, it was the end of this team's run. That's the Blackhawks. Was it the Blackhawks? It was indeed. Ben won that round. Right at big, one. Big Tampa Bay when, Lightning. Ben. When? When did Nashville win it? I don't know. Nashville. Uh, never, I don't think they have. Well, they made a run. I don't know if they actually won it, did they? The, the Predators. I, I'm, I, I don't they think did. they've ever I thought won they it. Did. All right, okay. All I right. thought they won. I thought they had a winning year, but maybe not. All right, we move along to question number three and some Major League Baseball. Who are the four MLB franchises to lose at least 110 games in a season since 1950? Ben. Ooh, ben in first. The Mets. Show me the New York Mets. Correct. They did it in 1962. Pass or play? Uh, I'll play it. Okay. The Baltimore Orioles. Show me the Orioles. Two left. You have two, and I'll give you a hint. This is—I should have given this at the beginning, but one of these teams pulled it off twice. But <laughs> you just need to say their name one time. Since since when? Since 1950. Winning or losing Uh, at least 110 games. The Detroit Tigers. Show me the Tigers. And they are the team that has done it twice, 2019. So last year in 2003, they lost at least 110. 1950. Yeah, this is where it gets tough. I don't (sighs) know if either of you guys are going to pull this one out and if you do I feel like it's random luck not knowing this specific season but I could be wrong hmm man I'm not sure to guess the Marlins if you can name the year <laughs> yeah name the year you then more. you win the whole show but the Marlins it, yeah. show me the Marlins okay so there's one strike you've got two left so who's he got he's got he Detroit the, yeah, Baltimore and t- the Mets correct yes right you okay. named him and the Mets were back in 1962, so that was that was a good guess by Ben going that far. I know back, they're like so. historically the worst team ever, right? Um, I don't know that they were ever that bad, but they've been around a long time. I'll say the A's. Show me the A's. They have been bad at times. Well, and. Oakland and the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Athletics. They, if we had gone back farther, they would have made the list as the yeah. Philadelphia A's. But that is not the team that we are looking for. 
110 losses? 110 losses or more. Ugh. Yeah, that's a bad season. <laughs> I, this topic you, did you come up that. at least one different once or twice on SNBL this last couple months, and I don't know if we talked about this team or not, but we did talk about the Tigers at least. The, the Cthulhu's oh. didn't lose 110. No, they I didn't. Think. They were fine. They, they were about probably, 500. Yeah. Um. Dang, this is hard. Yep. Uh, I don't think the Royals ever ever got that far. I'm just going to say the Giants. I, I don't know. How about the Giants? All right, Greg, you get a chance at a steal here. Between two teams. Okay. Cleveland and Houston. So give me the cheaters. Go the Astros. <laughs> Show me <laughs> the cheating Astros. Oh, that's not quite. It's the uh, Pittsburgh Was Pirates. it a team in the NL Central? Was yeah. it like the Reds? It's the Pirates. So, yeah. Pirates. Oh, okay. Uh, 1952. Greg was a young man at that point, right? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Run around. Tim. Jeez, Tim. Wow, you, I, you, you came into the show on Greg's side because you were a good luck charm, yep. and now you're trying to. Took exactly two categories so I was to just, turn his back on you. I was just sitting on that one. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Question number four. Who are the four golfers who have multiple wins in the PGA Championship since 1998? Greg, Ben. All right, Greg buzzed in. Go ahead, Greg. Tiger Woods. Show me Tiger. Yes, that's right. 99, 2000, 2006, and 2007. Pass or play, Mr. Sharp? I'll play. Okay. Can you re read the whole question to me again so yep. I get yeah, my Who ears. are the four golfers who have multiple wins in the PGA Championship since 1998? And Tiger won it in 99, 2000, 2006, and 2007. How about Brooks Kepka? Show me Brooks Kepka. That's right. He won it last year and the year before that, 2018 and 2019. We got two left. Give me lefty. Is Phil on here? Oh. Phil is not. That was my guess. <laughs> Phil Nicholson, not good enough for the list. How about Rory McIlroy? Show me Rory. Ben's favorite golfer of all time. Yes, on the list, 2012 and 2014, who was crowned a PGA champion. And now you have one since left. 90, we're, we're going in 98. since 98, correct? Yes. And I have one strike. Yeah. Um... I don't like this answer, but I'm going to give it anyway. Podrick Harrington. Is it Podrick Harrington? No, Sari. That is strike two. You have one more chance, or I guess you could pass it on to Ben. You can send it my way. I'll give it a crack. I'm sure Ben has a guess. I have a guess. I don't think it's right. <laughs> this one is tough. I think the, I think the, the three you got... They're hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Can we cool right. it with the hints? <laughs> right. It's not a hint. It's just an um, assessment. <laughs> Keep your assessments to yourself. <laughs> Man, I'm shocked Phil wasn't on there. That he yeah. hasn't won multiple yep. PGAs. Shocking um, indeed. 
Rory's last major, by the way, was the PGA. Okay, just a little trivia for yeah. you there. Twenty. That's Fun. A, his last major was six yeah, years washed, ago. He's washed Ooh, up. Man. Time to hang it up. Hey, not washed up, but. <laughs> um, Give me VJ Singh. Is it VJ Singh? No wow. way! It's a miracle right there. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered because right I there. wouldn't have got that right. Oh. Who are you? Who are you? With? I was just gonna say Sergio. I was when you he said. Has, I don't. I was gonna say when you said Padraig Harrington. I was like, oh, you're kind of in the right area there. Go a little bit further back, but did he? Did he win one? Harrington, I don't Padraig? know. I don't know. If I know he won not, a couple but. majors there when Tiger hit the fire hydrant for a right. while, but I couldn't remember if the PGA's or Let me get my so. fact check machine out. I don't know. I would not have got that, whether I had the category or not. So. All right. We're knotted back up to a piece. Looks like we might be headed to a, a seventh question. Yeah, so he won in 2008. Sorry. Oh, okay, good. he Continue did win one. There you go. Okay. All right. Question number five. Who are the top five non-active NFL leaders in career receptions? Ben. Greg. <laughs> Ben in first. There's a lot to this, but go ahead and give it a whirl. Top five non-active in receptions. Jerry Rice. Show me Jerry Rice. That is a great guess to start things. Pass or Deep play? cut. I'm going to play. Okay. Pull your 84 jerseys out. <laughs> Randy Moss. Show me Randy Moss. That is wow. shocking to me that he was not on here, but he is not. Patriots legend, though. Appreciate Ben giving <laughs> him a shout out. <laughs> um, how many more do I have to get? Four. You have a lot. This is probably the toughest Anquan category. Anquan Bolden? Show me Anquan Bolden. No way! I mean, there's some good guys on this list. We're talking non-active here, so. Man, now I'm this like, is like super all nervous. Time. Yeah, Bolden's been playing for like. 50 years. You should be nervous because there's four names out there. That's a lot of names for Greg to guess if you don't get at least one or two more. Greg is furiously writing down some guesses. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, I've got so many guys I I want to guess, but I don't know which ones are right. Man. Jerry Rice, by the way, the all-time leader with 1,549. So that's the mark to reach. Okay. I've got Let's see. I'll, I'll give you – this isn't really a clue, I guess. This is more just trip, more trivia. But Larry Fitzgerald is actually second, but he's still active, so he doesn't count. Right. He's at about 1,400-something. I'm going to guess him because if he's wrong and Greg guesses this guy, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Tony Gonzalez. Show me Tony Gonzalez. Yes. Thank you. I, w- I was hoping you would get that one. Well, I'm he's- all paranoid now that two of my two of my yeah. instinct guesses were wrong. So Tony- I can't believe Anquan Bolden's not on there. Tony Gonzalez, 1,325, which is actually second in the non-active leaders, so, which is amazing. How many more do I have to end. get? You have three left. How about the other Minnesota Viking, Chris Carter? Show me Chris Carter. There we go. Now you're on Dang. a roll. Now you're. Dang it. Yeah, Greg. You... I had that one. Yeah. I was hoping you weren't going to go with that. How many left? You have two left. I did not have Tony G, so it's good, good pull. <laughs> Let's 
I think this guy played longer than the other one. And, and, I, and I've got to go a Colt. Peyton Manning completed a billion balls in Indianapolis. He did. I'll take the older one, Marvin Harrison. Show me Marvin Harrison. Wow, this is a, a great comeback, Ben. You started out one and two on the category, but you've... Okay, the only other guy that I can think of, and I know he's in the neighborhood, it's Terrell Owens. So give me T.O. Show me T.O. I was completely out of names at that point. No, that's uh, that's a good guess. Greg, for the steal, you have one left. You have to get this exact one to get the steal. Man, I got like four names written down. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you got? I've got Lynn Swan, Calvin Johnson, Michael Irvin, Antonio Gates. Hmm. One Um, of those guys I did think of. No help over here. Give, give me Antonio Gates. I'm going another tight end. All right, another tight end. Is it Antonio Gates for the steal? No, it's not. Good it is guess. Tim Brown. He is actually fifth really? behind Chris Carter. So huh. it goes. Where was Reggie Scott. Wayne? I don't know. I okay. I would have to look again. I feel like but. they were both probably comparable, but Marvin had Peyton Moore in his prime. So, all right, Ben, you are one point away wow. from a victory. That was a good one. You did well hard. to get all those that was guys. Yeah, that was, that was solid, I cannot man. believe Anquan Bolden was in on there. Yep, you're not going to get over that for a while. All right, how about this for a brain bender? Question number <laughs> six. Who are Nebraska football's five Lombardi Award winners? Greg. All right, Greg, go ahead. Indomitian Sue. Is Mr. Sue on there? <laughs> guess who, guess who? He is on there. Pass or play? Greg. I'll play. There are five of them? Yeah. That's five what, of them, yep. That's what threw me for a loop. <laughs> yeah, Ben hesitated to even buzz in. Give me Grant Wistrom. Is it Grant Wistrom on there? He is indeed. 97. You got three what about Rich more. Glover? What about Rich Glover? That's Greg right. Three, roll. three so far. 72, Rich Glover. Greg has the award. sights set on a question number seven. He's, he's locked in, isn't it? <laughs> those are the easy ones right there. I probably could have got got those. Um, Larry Jacobson. Is Larry Jacobson the Lombardi winner? Oh, Larry Jakes. How about Trev Alberts? Is Trev Alberts a Lombardi winner? No, sir. You got one more guess. Or two of you get it right. How about Sandman, Broderick Thomas? Is he on there? He's not. He is not. Ben two left. Steal the win. Yep, this is for the win. If you get this okay. right, Ben. I've got two names written down. They both could have done it. I've got Steincooler and Remington. Give me Dave Remington. Show me Dave Remington for the steal and the win. And Ben, that. you would have won no matter what because both of those guys were Lombardi winners. Remington in 82, Steincooler in 83. 
For some reason, I was thinking Lombardi was totally defense, but I guess... I I guess we probably should have read that off before what the Lombardi Award was. Yeah, so I think it's just best yeah. lineman, right? Lineman, maybe yes. linebacker. I think, yeah, I, I just think lineman when I think of that. Well, that's the Outland. That's what Lombardi's just best player, uh, I think, right? Uh, yes, it's best foot, best college football player, regardless of position. Okay, wow. I was thinking, I was thinking lineman. It's a good so. thing. <laughs> wow, good thing we had some good so, linemen. So none of our Heisman guys got yeah. that. Isn't that funny? I. It's funny because I feel like I think of Lombardi as usually big lineman for some reason. Yeah. Which, I, but yeah, yeah, Joe Burrow won the Lombardi last year. So, wow. really, okay, that was yeah. lucky on my part. Then, I mean, Greg kind of took it and ran with it. Kind of, I mean, he all guessed all linemen, so I figured I, I'll keep the yeah, linemen. I thought they going. were all defensive guys, but because yeah. you know, I've Trev Alberts had a linebacker in there, but oh well, I guess I better know what those awards are. I guess. And the Outland Trophy people are lying to me. That's the best lineman in college football every year. Guess it didn't go that way. So, all right, Ben's rolling. I think we need to. I think we need to quit doing this game. Go back to buy sell. <laughs> okay. <Ooh>. All right. <laughs> His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, getting ready to call a game tonight between the Brewers and the White Sox. The Brewers certainly have been, I'm sure, a frustrated squad, Lane, because they got shut down because the Cardinals had issues, not the Brewers. That had to be pretty frustrating for the Milwaukee Ball Club. Yeah, it's just kind of the reality of this 2020 season. I think there's going to be some stops and some some pauses and then some restarts. And uh, really, the teams that are able to navigate that the best are probably some of the teams that are going to play the best baseball. This is just a it's a different type of season. I think we all knew that going into it for sure. And this is just one more obstacle that guys are going to have to be able to overcome. And and it's I, I think it's going to be challenging at times for some of these teams. And we'll kind of have to see, you know, how how this affects guys from a health standpoint and things of that nature. That remains to be seen. But uh, it's going to be one of the realities of the year, I think, for sure. Now, the Cardinals are anticipating to be able to come back and start playing on Friday. The Marlins resumed last night, and they had to dig deep into their 60-man pool to fill the roster. And one of those guys was Monte Harrison, who was going to be a Cornhusker before getting drafted high by the Brewers, incidentally. And, and now he's with the Marlins. And I know you've had a chance to, to watch and talk to Monte in the past. Yeah, Monte's a good kid. He's a really exciting athlete. I mean, that's the thing about him that stands out. The first time you see him on the field, uh, whether it's the baseball field or, or like in Nebraska, he was going to be a wide receiver there. And, of course, his brother's in the NBA. I mean, Monte can do just about anything athletically that he wants. It, it reminds you a little bit. I mean, I always hate comparisons, especially to one of the great athletes ever, in my opinion, and Bo Jackson, but a little bit like that just in terms of, explosive, can play multiple sports, tons of power, tons of speed. Um, he's an exciting guy, and, and I'm happy for Monte. I mean, it hasn't been a, a real easy linear path to the big leagues for him. He had multiple injuries that held him back. Uh, then he was traded, of course. He was in the Yelich trade. And so it's it's been a little bit of a ride for him to get to this point. But I think he's really talented, and he's certainly not – short on confidence either which I like about Monte so I, I think it's going to be fun to watch his career his mentors Dane and Hughes the old Iowa Hawkeye that played for the Kansas City Chiefs he was a minor league baseball player too and 
I actually called a football game this fall with Dane, and I've gotten to know Dane a little bit. And, of course, Dane and Monte are really close. And so uh, I know Dane thinks the world of Monte, too, and speaks really highly of him. So I'm happy for Monte that he made it to the show, and, and I hope he sticks around for a long time. Yeah, we've seen Danon a lot with Big Ten baseball down through the years, but he recently just got promoted. He's going to be the uh, color analyst on the Chiefs radio network, so a big honor for Danon Hughes. Lane Grindle's with us, our Major League Baseball insider. Some real good stories early in the season. Aaron Judge just knocking the cover off the ball, Lane. This guy's off to a monster start for the Yankees. Yeah, and, you know, he's had so so many injuries the last two seasons. You started to wonder if it was going to be this 2017 Aaron Judge is the next big thing, and then would he ever stay healthy enough to get back to that point? And he, he looks like he's at that point again. Um, he, he certainly looks like the guy that was an MVP candidate in 2017. And so uh, I'm happy for him. Uh, he, he's a good guy. That's a really good lineup that he's in the middle of. They're going to hit a lot of home runs this year. But uh, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to kind of pick up where he was in 2017, and he'll become one of the big, big stars in this game if he's not already. You know, you, you were a prophetic a year or so ago. We were talking about Otani and his arrival in Major League Baseball and trying to both hit and pitch, and you're like, it's, that's not going to last. He's going to have to just be a straight hitter. Had arm injury a year ago. It looks like he's got it again now. You were prophetic. You called that 18 months ago for us. Yeah, I just think that it's it's hard to do both, and and I know that everybody's trying to be open-minded in this day and age, and 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 do different things. But I think at this level to be great, and everybody wants to be great, and it's so hard to be great at this level. I think at some point you, you eventually are going to have to pick, and I think that's going to be the case for him. Obviously, the injuries have mounted up from a pitching standpoint for him. A lot of people, I think, felt like that's where his greater ceiling was over here. So. You know, where does he end up going with it? I'm not really sure. But I think it's really hard to do both at this level with the great athletes that are at this level, the great baseball players that are here, all the data that's out there and how they can expose you. I just think it's going to be a big challenge. He's a great talent. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good Major League Baseball career before it's all said and done. But I'm still not 100% sure where it's going to be, either on the mound or at the plate. Lane, you mentioned all the injuries. He, obviously, he's kind of one, maybe a minor one. At least he'll be able to bat the rest of the season. But what's the latest on the roster sizes? What's baseball going to allow moving forward with the roster sizes? So tomorrow they'll go down to 28, and they're going to keep it there the rest of the year now. Originally, they were going to go to 28 for a, for a stretch and then go down to 26 where the season was supposed to be uh, at 26. Because remember, it was going to go up from 25 to 26 this year anyway. Uh, but they're going to keep it at 28 just to, to – to, help with health and to help with in case you have positive COVID tests uh, just makes it a little bit you know easier to, to manage that roster from that standpoint so I think that's the right decision I, I certainly am glad that that's the decision that they've made moving forward and, and it's going to stay that way for the rest of the season so you'll see some guys getting cut tomorrow uh, maybe some guys designated for assignment some guys just getting option to their auxiliary camps whatever it may be uh, but then that that'll be it um, in terms of you know, shrinking these roster sizes. They'll stick at 28 now for the rest of the year. Lane Grindle's with us, our Major League Baseball insider. Last week we asked you about the new 10th inning rule with the runner at second base. Now I want to ask you about the, for the relievers, the three batter minimum rule. Have you, have has that crossed in the Brewer games you've called or attended so far yet, or has it been much of a factor? 
Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's something that we all knew was coming this year. We knew that before this. This isn't a COVID-related rule or anything like that. It's not an experimentation. This was a rule they put in uh, to try to limit the amount of pitching changes that you have, keep the flow of the game going a little bit more. And it's a different kind of strategy for sure. You know, do you want to get that lefty in there for that lefty-lefty matchup if there's a couple of righties after him and take the chances that he can get the lefty out because then he's got to stay in there for those righties? And then the other nuance to the rule that I, at least I wasn't really 100% sure of until right before the season started was that, like, if, if a guy comes in with two outs and you get the lefty-lefty matchup and he gets his guy out, obviously he can be lifted from the game. He has to either pitch to three batters or finish the inning. But if he comes back out for the next inning, he's got to get two more. So he's still on the three-batter clock at that point. He's not free to be lifted after one more guy in the next inning. He's still then – then he's back on the three-batter plan, essentially. So uh, that was a little bit of a wrinkle that I, I wasn't really aware of until basically the week of our opener that that was going to be the case. And we've seen that come into effect a couple of different times, and everybody understands the rule and, and is working within the confines of that rule. But that's a little bit of a nuance to the rule that a lot of people maybe don't know. I think in a, in a year or so, everybody will be so used to it, it won't even, it'll be second nature by then. Okay, the, the crew playing four with the White Sox. You had two in Milwaukee, two in Chicago. Then, then what's, what's next for the crew? Uh, then the crew comes back home, a uh, series against the Reds and the Twins, and then go on the road and take on the Cubs at the end of next week. So, um, it, you know, it moves fast. It basically had an all-star break because we played last Wednesday in Pittsburgh and then had Thursday off and then didn't end up playing Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So we played six games and then had an all-star break, essentially. Not one that we wanted to have, but uh, it is what it is. Um, then you jump back into it, and it, it does. It moves along fast. I mean, you, you look up, and it feels like you just started the season, and we're going to be about 25% of the way through, uh, you know, here in a matter of weeks. So um, it goes fast, and, and every game matters. I mean, it, it hurts a little more when you lose, and it feels a little better when you win. I think there's a slogan in that. You might want to go. Uh, you might want to go patent that slogan. Every game matters. <laughs> I don't think anybody's right. ever said that. Before. No, I'm the first. <laughs> Never heard it. All right. Have a good week. Have a good call tonight. You bet. Thanks, Greg. Big day started bright and early with the BTN show to reveal the Big Ten football schedule at 7.30 this morning. They really got out to a, <laughs> a quick start for this thing. We were hearing some rumblings that it might be Rutgers to open it. We've had some people that have texted us tonight on our new text line uh, saying, why in the world would Nebraska be sent to maybe one of the hottest spots in the country for Rutgers for the opening game of the season. Rutgers has already announced they're not allowing anybody in to watch football played this year. So it would be in front of an empty stadium if it does take place. But I go back to last night saying, I don't know the distance really is that big a deal. You're, you're getting, getting on a bus, getting on a plane, getting off the plane, getting on a bus, going to a hotel. You just spend a little bit more time in the air flying, you know, maybe to Piscataway as opposed to Champaign. Yeah, it was funny uh, being in touch with you this morning. You awake? Yep. You? Yep. All right, cool. Let's 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 watch this. Let's happen. watch this. Um, yeah, it's just funny how that ended up happening. But yeah, I mean, I, that's the obvious reaction. And it, and again, it's Rutgers. I mean, we'd have a completely different idea maybe if it was on the road at Penn State. But you know, the distance wouldn't be as big of an issue there. But because it's Rutgers, because of their um, recent track record with coronavirus and their 
um, the outbreak that they've had, it, it's kind of throw your arms up in the air and say, yep, of course, that's, that's kind of where everybody is uh, with Rutgers anyway. But, yeah, the fact that uh, week one, right out of the shoot, not surprised at everybody's reaction. Um, you know, so there, there's still a long ways to go on this thing. And the commissioner who was interviewed on BTN after the, the revealing of the schedule did say, hey, this is just us planning in case we can play football, but we're not there yet. We got a lot of protocols to get through. Uh, so like you said off the top, we had some euphoria when the schedule got released, still knowing that this is far from a done deal that we're going to see college football here in about a month. Yeah, it is. I mean, there there was a – yeah, you mentioned the euphoria, the excitement, but at the same time, you started to see those caveats come out in tweets too. That just because the schedule is released doesn't mean any type of guarantee that this is going to be a for sure thing. That being the college football season, so we're still in wait and see mode. But the the coaches now can can progress their camp. They can um, you know start preparations for their week one opponents and all that other stuff. You know, until that plug is pulled, um, you know, at least we have some type of direction right now. And it was great to hear the commissioner on the record, too, you know, in, in substantial length today. And just to, for the coaches, too, to maybe just, you know, peek inside the mind and, and understand a little bit kind of what's been going on and uh, and go from there. So, yeah, I, I think overall today was a, was a solid day, but I think there's still kind of a wait-and-see type uh, type mentality with this thing. So we do know Huskers will start their fall camp on Friday. That's the first day to practice to get prepared for a game on September the 5th, and you have to prepare like you're going to play. You can't just sit back and go, well, we don't think that's going to happen. We'll just kind of lay, take it easy here for a while and lay low. you gotta, you got to play, prepare, prepare and plan for a season starting in on the first weekend of September. So that gets going for Nebraska on Friday. Husker Volleyball did have their first workout today. I'm puzzled by that because they don't get as many practices up to their first match as football does, and they can't. Well, the commissioner did say today with the release that they can't start until Labor Day weekend. So I'm surprised by that, but hey, they know better than I do. Callers and guests into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, tomorrow night we'll continue our position breakdowns. Don't want to miss this. Quarterbacks tomorrow, Mario Verdusco will join us. We'll get his take on that position. We'll rank it out with the rest of the Big Ten West. Teddy Greenstein will stop by his normal Thursday stop to chat with us. And we'll continue our preseason top 25. All that coming up tomorrow here on Sports Nightly.